Tree planting is sexy, especially if you're on social media and you want to get people really happy and to feel really valued in an instant. But the hard part is to make sure that that tree that you planted lives, right? And so we at American Forest want to make sure that that also happens. We don't want you to spend your time uh, planting a tree that doesn't survive, right? I'm Talib Vizram, and this is World Changing Ideas, where we investigate how leading innovators are solving our most challenging issues. On today's episode, bringing equity to urban landscapes. At this point, we have all heard what environmental justice is, or at least have some idea what it means. But I want to give you the definition that really resonates with my soul. That's Venice Miller-Travis. She's the executive vice president of environment and sustainability at Metropolitan Group. She's also been on the front lines of the environmental justice movement since the 80s. Environmental justice refers to those cultural norms and values, rules, regulations, behaviors, policies, and decisions to support sustainable communities where people can interact with confidence that their environment is safe, nurturing, and productive. Environmental justice is served when people realize their highest potential without experiencing the isms, racism, sexism, ageism, um, gender discrimination. That's what environmental justice is, that people are treated equally before the law, that people have equal access to resources, whatever those resources are, that there's a respect for nature, and in places where there is a respect for nature, there is usually a respect for people. Not always, but those two things more often than not come together. The idea of planting more trees isn't new, but some innovators are focusing their efforts more on urban forestry. Shubendu Sharma is an eco-entrepreneur who founded A Forest, a company that helps grow forests at homes, schools, and factories. A forest is not an isolated piece of land where animals live together. A forest can be an integral part of our urban existence. A forest, for me, is a place so dense with trees that you just can't walk into it. It doesn't matter how big or small they are. Sharma has seen improvements in air quality, an increase in biodiversity, and even some fresh fruit. Most of the world we live in today was forest. This was before human intervention. Then we built up our cities on those forests. Forgetting that we belong to nature as well, as much as 8.4 million other species on the planet. Our habitat stopped being our natural habitat. Sharma stresses working with nature and not against it. In a natural forest like this, no management is the best management. It's a tiny jungle party. While our topic today isn't as jazzy as a tiny jungle party, it is just as critical, which my guest can attest to. Maisie Hughes is the Senior Director of Urban Forestry at American Forests. That's the oldest national conservation organization in the U.S., founded in 1875. Before that, Hughes helped launch the Design Virtue, a sustainability consulting firm, and then co-founded the Urban Studio, a nonprofit dedicated to equitable and sustainable urbanism. Well, Maisie, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Super excited. 
It's nice to meet again after, just for our listeners, Macy and I met at a at a panel called Trees and Seas a little while ago, which I think for me was the first in-person event um, that I'd been to since the pandemic, I think. Me as well. That was awesome. Yeah, that was really fun. Um, well, Macy, you know, I think it's a perfect time to talk about trees now that it's the fall and, and the trees are kind of looking their most beautiful, depending on where in the world you are. Um but, you know, you've, in your words, said that you're obsessed with trees. So how, how did you become uh, so interested in trees? Uh, it's something that probably many of us take for granted. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. I don't have any memories not being completely jazzed by trees. One of my earliest memories is being in kindergarten, working on an art project. And of course, I wanted to create a giant tree. And my idea was that I was going to, you know, cut out the tree all by myself, of course. And I remember the paper was construction paper. It was yellow. It was huge. Uh, And then I created like a trunk out of brown construction paper, got it all glued down. Um, And when it came to the leaves, my teacher told me, oh, just do like a cotton ball shape on top, a round cotton ball shape on top. And I said, no. That's just not going to get it done. I need to cut out (laughs) each of the individual leaves so that it could look like a real tree. And I knew what the shape of the leaves I wanted to use were. And I I worked with my left-handed scissors until my hands hurt. They were so sore. I was trying to cut out all of the leaves, but I couldn't get it quite right. And I remember being so frustrated, even as a kindergartner. And I think that was my first time was being frustrated as a designer because I couldn't make the tree look the way the trees did outside. Huh. And when I was a kid, I used to lay under trees all day and just like look at the way the leaves danced in the wind or I would climb trees with my brother or draw them in the sketchbook. I've always felt connected to them. I mean, so much so when I was in college, I was driving in a car with my friends and you know how girls are at that age. We were like, look how cute, you know, that guy is, or maybe we should go there (laughs) for lunch. And I'm like, look, look at the park on that London plane tree and look how beautiful it looks with the rain. And my friends turned to me in the backseat and looked at me like I was out of my mind. And it's because (laughs) they were correct. I, I really didn't have a choice. The trees really chose me, I think. That's awesome. I'm I'm kind of uh, sad that your your tree um, collage is not in your background right now. Oh no! Don't inspire me to do it because I will I will get out the exacto knife and try again. <laughs> so Macy, what do we mean when we talk about urban forestry? I mean that that's kind of two words that may sound kind of uh, oxymoronic to each other. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people uh, don't look at it from the perspective of an urban forester, right? And so for us in the field, we think of all of the trees as a collection in a city, right? So it's not uh, just a forested area or a park area, but it's how we maintain and manage all of the trees from street trees to trees on private property to trees in parks and forests and playgrounds as a collection. And we do a lot of investigation of how healthy that whole total urban forest is. And we can look in a lot of different ways about how healthy that is. But it's how we plan and care for and maintain um, all of the trees in in a specific geographic area that's usually defined as urban. In addition to working with American Forests, you launched Design Virtue, uh, which is a sustainability consulting firm. 
And you co-founded the Urban Studio, uh, which is a non-profit dedicated to sustainable urbanism. How did those projects kind of pave the way to your current role? Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting way all of that unrolled in my life. I mean, I think one of the cool things is five years ago when I was thinking about and exploring these ideas, I felt the way I think a lot of people feel now. I felt a little bit undervalued and uncertain. I felt burdened and overburdened and burnt out. One of the things that's interesting about me, I think, is how risk averse I am. I've I've never even considered starting my own consulting firm, but I had to be at that pain point to start thinking more entrepreneurial. And so uh, I grew up, you know, working class, experienced housing insecurity. So this was a big deal. How can I create a firm where I can make sure that I am set up for success? The problem that I was trying to solve is based on my own personal experience as an African-American living in like the nation's capital. One of the things I noticed in myself is that when I would visit really beautiful landscapes that I, I would, you know, felt were sublime, that I felt were amazing and I really loved and I was drawn to them, but I also felt like I didn't belong in those spaces. And it turns out what I found really is applicable to my work here at American Forest and my work with the Urban Studio, because it turns out that race and identity aren't the same thing. Race is a social construct designed to give access to wealth and opportunity to one group of people and restrict access to all other groups. But identity, which of course intersects with race, is about culture and language and who you are and how you love and heritage and food ways and environment and so much more. It's so much richer. It's so much deeper than race. But how we experience plays, you can switch like how you feel in the space based on whether or not you're looking at it from a point of view of race or if you're looking at it as a point of view of identity. If you work in the environmental field as long as I have, you know because you hear it all the time that communities of color will be the most impacted by climate change. But yet and still, people of color are disregarded, disrespected, and ignored in the design of their own cities. And this problem is what I really wanted to solve. And that's the point in which everything started to come together because I had my consultancy and American Forest was one of my clients. And I had the urban studio, so I had a support system of people who design for cities, who understand what it means to be a person of color and really wanted to define how we engage people of color in the process of city design. Amazing. Uh, well, uh, Maisie, you've, you've touched on some really kind of important points that, that I want to get into. And uh, it's kind of a good segue into, into talking about this idea of, of tree equity. You, you've said in the past that all people deserve daily access to nature, which I think is something that everyone can get on board with. Kind of an obvious question, but what are the benefits of trees and nature in everyday life, especially when we're talking about global warming and and extreme heat becoming a uh, more of a thing? A lot of people often talk about the benefits of trees as a laundry list of scientific things that trees provide. I think what we, we are learning now is that more than just science, more than better air quality, more than like helping to cool, you know, the city, more than trees being a place-based asset, meaning where you place them is where they provide the benefits, right? So 
They provide shade where you place them. Uh, And that's critically important because if you don't place them where people of color are, then they don't get those benefits, right? So the science also is starting to really understand that it's more than just, you know, air quality benefits or cooling benefits for cities, but it's also like health benefits, right? It is also mental health benefits. The science has shown that trees help to improve how you feel about yourself and where you are. It helps to calm your mind. It really helps with stress release. Uh, I am drawn to trees because they make places beautiful, as far as I'm concerned. But as a collection in the city, they really are one of the best technologies for adapting for climate change. So when we talk about tree equity, what does that mean? And how can landscape architecture kind of help improve the socioeconomic status of a region's inhabitants? I really want to just take a moment to pause and say that tree equity is a bold idea for American forest. It's the idea that we have to move beyond just citing that certain communities have access to trees and other communities do not. The idea behind tree equity is what are the tools that cities need to solve the problem and dig deeper than just the same old rhetoric, right? And so at American Forest, we look at a lot of things for tree equity. We look at where the children are. We look at where the seniors are. We look at where um, the people of color are. We look at where the urban heat islands are. And we create a strategy for planting trees where they are needed the most. And we do that with our tree equity score. Just to give our listeners um, some real stats, and, and you know maybe these are a couple of, of months old, but you know, majority people of color neighborhoods get 33% less tree canopy than majority white, uh, and wealthier neighborhoods get 65% more. Macy, feel free to correct me if those are kind of outdated stats, but really kind of um, opens your eyes to how big the disparities are. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting and dynamic problem. It's not even that, but it's also rooted in cultural narratives. You know, one of the narratives, for example, is this idea that, you know, nature is something that is reserved for the wealthy. And I think part of tree equity is like rethinking our assumptions around how we design, right? Because the science has proven that, you know, neighborhoods that have a greater tree canopy covered in fact, have lower crime, right? And that science has proven that people who are the most stressed need the trees the most, right? And so it's a complicated and dynamic problem, but all urban design issues are. And I think what's great about it is that it makes us have to rise to the occasion to think differently about how we design, but also think differently about our own assumptions. Absolutely. You mentioned that you're kind of involved with with strategy then in, in terms of planting trees and, and deciding where to plant trees. Are you are you working with different municipalities around the country to implement those strategies? We absolutely are. Right now, my team is just coming off of a, a wonderful national learning lab where we worked with 12 cities. We went over tree equity, their individual issues, helped them to bring to the front like, plans around how they can make their cities more equitable, share lessons learned uh, in designing cities for climate change and other 
issues. And we're going to continue that process throughout the year as well with those cities. And we're hoping to bring more cities on board. We want to be in most of American cities as quickly as possible. By 2030, we want to be in 100 cities, working with them on the ground to bring about tree equity in a real and meaningful way. Are you able to name, you know, a couple of the cities you're working with? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're working in Dallas and Austin and Phoenix, and we're working in Detroit and Baltimore. We're working in cities all across the country. I know that part of your job description as well includes career pathways. So planting and maintaining trees, uh, I assume, is is a route to, to job creation too. Can you kind of delve into that a little bit? We talked a little bit about where you plant trees, being where they give you the biggest benefits. And one of the great things about trees is that they create local jobs. When you plant a tree in an urban area, you have to maintain it in that area. And so our idea, a big idea around career pathways is to help people who need jobs the most be able to care for trees in their own communities by becoming urban foresters and to help those businesses that really need more urban forestry practitioners because there is a labor shortage in the field to get those jobs by giving them to people who need them the most and helping them with wraparound services so they thrive in those new careers. And so that helps to diversify the field, it helps to employ people, and it helps to take care of the trees. Great. Now, um, If the solution is to plant more trees, what are the best ways that people can go about that on on a wider wider level? I mean, we have kind of companies now claiming to plant a tree in return for a transaction. I'm sure you saw there was an Instagram trend where people were posting pictures with their pets to have a tree planted in exchange, but it turns out that was debunked. Um, what, What are kind of some ways that people can go about this? Yeah, I definitely think that it was a great idea. I think the issue there was they didn't have enough funding to to plant all of the trees that people wanted uh, planted. It's easier to it's easier to post than it is to actually get out a shovel and plant. So for the average person, planting a tree with a real shovel, like getting out there, going to the store, purchasing it, digging a hole and planting it is a really great first step, right? Um, it's a very tactile experience. It's really quite lovely. You can learn how to, to do that on our Vibrant Cities Lab. But that's just the first step, right? If we're thinking about an urban forest as a dynamic place, right? You have to plant new trees, of course, but you have to take care of your, your older trees, right? You have to take care of the trees that are middle-aged as well, because as older trees decline, you want to make sure that those younger trees and those middle-aged trees also get to maturity. So it's a dynamic process. Tree planting is sexy, especially if you're on social media and you want to get people really happy and to feel really valued and an instant. Tree planting is the thing you, you, you want to do. And a lot of people also want to come out to our tree plantings to experience that and get their hands dirty. But the hard part is to make sure that that tree that you planted lives, right? And so we at American Forest want to make sure that that also happens. We don't want you to spend your time uh, planting a tree that doesn't survive, right? And so adaptation to climate change is a, is a challenging thing to do. We're finding that as cities get hotter or even as places get hotter, the trees are not adapted to survive in those places anymore. So we have to have research, right, so that we can create 
climate resistant and disease resistant varieties of trees so that when you plant them, they can actually thrive in this new environment. Um, and we also have to have tree protection ordinances that um, help to make sure that during the development process, we can protect the trees that we have. Because no matter how fast we plant trees, developers are the people who plant the most trees and they are also the people who remove the most trees. And so we have to make sure that they're thinking in a sustainable way about how they help to define what our cities in the future of our cities look like. Tree planting is sexy is certainly a new way of, of looking at things. I think I know what our soundbite from this show is going to be. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's super sexy. Um. Can you give us a kind of overview of what some of your corporate partnerships look like? So corporate partners are getting much more interested in urban forestry. And I think part of that has to do with corporations having their headquarters in cities and having employees who want to contribute to the communities in which they work. And we're finding that corporations like Microsoft or Salesforce or Tazo are really investing in tree equity in a big way. These partnerships are really interesting and dynamic and tailored for each corporation. Uh, Tazo T, for example, is helping us by modifying our workforce program to include the Tazo Tree Corps. And earlier this year, we have hired people in three cities and we want to expand to other cities over the course of next year as well. And the Tazo Tree Corps is that workforce program I told you about where we're helping low-income people of color diversify the urban forestry field and employing them in urban forestry in their own communities, giving them the trainings, the skills, and the wraparound services they need in order to be successful in these careers. And we're doing this in, in partnership with Davy Tree, one of the oldest tree care companies in the country. Great. And, and Macy, any other future projects that you can share with us? Oh, you know how jazzed I am about the tree equity score. Yeah. And what's really lovely is it's like the first tool that is really actionable for everybody. If you're an individual, if you're an urban forestry nonprofit, if you are a city official, you can really use the score to drive where you should be planting trees. But our tech geniuses are looking at now adding a whole AI dimension to the score. And so we're going to be doing some really uh, great enhancements there. And we're also going to be looking at how we can tell better stories. So we're going to start doing story mapping, overlaying that so that people can really understand what's going on with tree equity. And we're in the process of hiring some really uh, wonderful people to help us with that as well. Awesome. Well, for anyone looking to learn more, I would definitely recommend spending some time on the Tree Equity Score site. I've, I've certainly spent some time on it and, it, and it's really fascinating. Macy, thank you so much for, um, for being here. Really, really appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun as always. I really appreciate being here as well. You know, this year, we've seen that extreme heat has become much more of an issue. Um, you have three cities around the world have, have uh, been the first to appoint chief heat officers. And so cities need ways to counteract that. And some are kind of manufactured ways of doing that, like implementing cool pavements and, and cool roofs. But you know, part of that is, is trees and planting more trees uh, where they're needed. And, and often where they're needed is in lower socioeconomic areas. You know, as Macy said, planting more trees, one helps 
combat climate change. Two, it, it helps people's mental health. And three, it helps kind of create a more egalitarian society where trees are not just a sign of a wealthy neighborhood, right? They're helping everyone survive this threat of, of climate change. That's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to World Changing Ideas wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. World Changing Ideas is produced by Avery Miles and our editor is Nicholas Torres.